Welcome to this week in sparkling water. You know, the thing is that I didn't have time or energy for this, to record this episode. I was supposed to do it yesterday, I was supposed to do it the day before. I just had this really crazy week. It's actually very surprising to me that the most exhausting thing of my job is training new staff. It's it's weirdly, it's weirdly, it, I, I don't know why, but it, there's something about like, I tried to delegate it out and there's like, a training outline that's different depending on what role you're training them for and stuff. And But but at some point you have to just sit down with them one-on-one and just talk to them and be like, what, what, what are you missing? Like, what do you not know yet? And then you figure out what the holes are and then you just go through it and you're like, okay, so let's talk about this wine list, you know, top to bottom, first wine, it's like this. And it relates to the next wine like this. And then the third and the fourth, their relationship to each other is like this. And you explain everything and the tasting notes and the food pairings. And you like look them in the eye and figure out like how much of this is tracking? Like how much do we need to slow this down or speed this up to get you to exactly where I want you? And there's something so tiring to really get into someone's brain to figure out like the shape of what they know and to then reshape it to a different shape and to then after 90 minutes of sitting one-on-one with someone and and just teaching to stand up and to just sit down with a new person and be like what's going on in your brain like what do you have and then to try to like figure out the next person's brain and just resetting resetting the whole thing and doing it again over and over. I'm hiring like 10 people for this like seasonal temporary Christmas bar that we're doing. And it's like incredibly exhausting. And then flu season hit us and all my bartenders are sick and it's like the drinks aren't going to make themselves. So I fucking go over there and I just make the drinks and it's like, I'm so tired. (laughs) And I, I can feel myself being a little bit more tired than I'd like to be, where like, I don't, like, I'm just, (laughs) like, guests ask me things, and I just see myself on the outside, and I'm just like, I've become that guy who's just a little bit more muted. Like, I used to be, I've always been this really (laughs) spunky, cheery person in a guest-facing space, but then, like, you grind me down enough and then I'm just, I'm muted. And you ask me a question and I, I give you the complete answer, but not much more, you know? <laughs> and I'm so tired. And I just like, you know, just like trying to shut down two bars at the same time and trying to make sure everything gets clean because it's all these completely brand new people doing all this stuff. And and then at midnight, when I'm, we're just winding everything down. I'm like telling the front desk agent that there's this like, woman suffering from homelessness that I've been told that she is rude and she um, she's always trying to trick the front desk agent into giving her a free room. She's always like, yeah, I'm on the list. Like it should be under this name. And, and she it's she's just very rudely um, trying to get stuff for free always. And then I'm explaining this to the front desk agent. And then like two minutes later, the fire alarm goes off. And it's like, dude, it's like 12.30 a.m. or something. All these families with kids waddling into the parking lot because that lady pulled the fire alarm and the fire department shows up and I have to like find the unit and silence the alarm and then find it, tell the unit will tell you which one of the fucking what happened you know was it a was it a smoke alarm that was triggered or did someone pull the alarm and then you can look at the screen and read the code and it tells you what happened and where it happened and so it's like yeah on the third floor someone pulled the alarm is what the screen is telling me in a two-story building (laughs) there is no third floor so i'm like okay fuck it i'll just walk around and i just find the fire alarm that she has pulled and so i know you know This happened a year ago. A year ago, downstairs in the downstairs cocktail lounge, Will was bartending. This like goth girl with a lot of, this like hot goth girl with a lot of piercings. She, I'm sure I talked about this a year ago on the podcast, but this like, (laughs) this goth girl with a lot of piercings who was flirting with Will the whole night. She gives Will, the bartender, his, her phone number, flirts with him, gives the phone number, 
stands up, pays for her drink, turns around, walks out, and on her way out, just pulls the fire alarm. <laughs> it's such a, like, oh, I remember talking about it because I, I remember thinking about it a lot in terms of how I relate to that lady because I used to be, like, just really destructive. Like, as an alcoholic, I would just always, like, ruin things for other people and then walk away. And I remember just being on the other side, like, having my shit ruined, having to, like, lead all these families out into the parking lot to evacuate everyone and the fire department shows up. This time, it's a year later, and now I just know what to do. It's like you just silence it, and then you find out where it was pulled, and then you go into the secret closet, and you find the secret box, and on top of the secret box, that's all the way up in the ceiling, so I don't know how anyone outside of me who is super tall can even reach this key, but there's a secret key in a secret spot, and you bring that to where the pulled fire alarm is, and then you reset it, and before you do that, you make sure you have someone else on the other floor by the other unit waiting, because resetting the pulled fire alarm will make the fire alarm go off again. And then you have to have someone at the other place to hit the button to silence it so that it's not going for another fucking five minutes. And while I'm doing it, and I've fucking primed Jacob Bradley to to goddamn silences as soon as I get it going. While I'm doing it, the fire department shows up. Just so stressful. And I'm so tired. And, and there's like 20 people just peeking out of their rooms being like, what the hell is going on? And I get it going and... Yeah, and anyway, so then I'm like, it's just been such a long day of training and then bartending and then fixing everything and then getting everything cleaned up while we have all these weird different private events, like an 8 a.m. funeral and like a afternoon bike convention with all these like, all these people with bicycles, famous bicycles, brought their bicycles and showcased them in our in our big banquet hall, like Bicycles that have won the World Cup in the 70s and shit like that. Like they put, yeah, just like 50 famous bicycles in a room. And just like full of people that want to look at the bicycles. I don't get it, but more power to them, you know what I'm saying? So this is like very long day and then the fire alarm and I'm driving home. And it's 1.30 a.m. And I'm like, God damn it, I haven't recorded a podcast yet. And I'm going to be home and it's going to be like almost 2 a.m. And I'm just like, I don't have time or energy for this. And then I'm sitting here and I'm just like trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life. And it's 1.58 a.m. And before it happened, it struck me. <laughs> it struck me that it's 1.58 a.m. on November 5th, 2023. And that at 2 a.m., we set our clocks back one hour. So the situation of like not having time or energy changes slightly because I just gain an hour. So I just watch it go from 1.59 and then it doesn't go to 2 a.m. Instead, it goes to 1 a.m. And then I'm like, okay, well, fuck it. So then I was like, I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just record a podcast now then. So let's review the first water here. Oh God. It's, there's a light drizzle outside. There's, I, you know what I really like? I like that I I come from this place where it rained all the time. Like people think of Sweden as snow, but I'm from the very south where the southernmost part of Sweden on the peninsula where really it's just like a biting, really sort of sharp, gets you all the way into your bone, cold, wet wind and rain. And only snow for like a tiny bit in winter. And the snow always melts immediately. And then <laughs> today, Hannah was trying to... No, not today. It, it, no, maybe it was today. Hannah was trying to roast me and be like... We were looking at the bicycles, me and Hannah at work. And she was trying to roast me and be like, do you even know how to ride a bicycle? And it brought me back and it made me think of how... The real question is, do you even know how to drive a car? Because I barely know how to drive a car. But when you grew up in Sweden, there was so much of like... It's raining and it there's sleet and snow and ice and you're still biking to school. Like I biked to school in like wet snow <laughs> so much. And when you wake up early in the morning and it's still dark and it's still it's like cold in the morning and icy. Dude, so many times that I'm biking to school and there's just like wet rain just like whipping me in the face. 
and I just slide around and then I just like lose control on some black ice and I just slide into a big old pile of snow and just like scratch my face. And then you just got to get back on your bicycle and make it to school. It's like horrible torture. And it makes you hate rain. It makes you hate bicycles. <laughs> it's actually funny. I was telling Hannah part of that today. And then right as I say it, I'm, I said, and that's why I will never go on, get on a bicycle again. At that exact moment, all these like famous World <laughs> Cup winning bicyclists, pro bikers, <laughs> came into the room <laughs> while I was like, I will never get on a bicycle. And it was, I don't know. We got, I don't know. Is that awkward? They didn't seem to mind. But what I was going to say is that I really appreciate how I hated rain when I was growing up, but then I made an effort to move to places where it's really, really hot. And now I think just spending a good four years in Shanghai and then a year in Hangzhou and in different hot Asian places. And then now I've been in California for like three years and it's just so hot all the time and it rains so rarely and you're so afraid of wildfire that I've actually successfully reprogrammed myself to get to this other mindset where it's like you hear rain and it's a little bit beautiful. It's like there's a light drizzle outside and the, the distant memory of being whipped in the face by like ice cold rain as I'm bicycling to school as a 12 year old, that memory is so far away and so faded that now I can just sit here and be like, yeah, I've been, oh yeah, like I'm listening to this little rain outside and it's just, it's actually, it actually sounds beautiful to me now. And I, and I appreciate that. So let's drink this water, huh? Um, the brand is Olipop. The flavor is lemon lime. And it's some sort of like prebiotic, a new kind of soda is what they call it. Prebiotics, botanicals, plant fiber. Ooh, plant fiber. Let's smell it. Yeah, lemon lime. Ooh, okay, so that's that's very rind, rind lime. It's very um, essential oil. Very like you express, you express the the oils from the citrus skin into the beverage, because that rind is so different from the juice inside of the fruit. Oh, ooh, wonderful. Ooh, lime. Let's taste it. Oh heck, that's good. Oh heck, that's fresh. Cassava root fiber, chicory root inulin, Jerusalem artichoke inulin. I'm reading the ingredients. Nepal cactus, marshmallow root, calendula flower, kudzu root. Oh my God, kudzu? Never even heard of that since I read that book. Since I read Fight Club where there's this one part. Oh my God, I have to find that part. Climbing the, uh, the wrist thick kudzu vines, wrapping the Sears Tower. Okay, hold on. Let me Google that. Climbing the wrist thick. Let's see how soon um, my browser will start auto-filling this because it finds the quote. Climbing the wrist thick kudzu vine. Okay. Vine wrapping the Sears Tower. Okay. So there's this beautiful quote in Fight Club where... <clears throat> I believe it's Tyler Durden, and he just talks about like the post-apocalyptic sort of like post-capitalism world that he wants to create, and that's why he's blowing things up. And the quote is like this. In the world I see, you're stalking elk through the damp canyon forests around the ruins of the Rockefeller Center. You'll wear leather clothes that'll last you the rest of your life. <laughs> You'll climb the wrist-thick kudzu vines that wrap the Sears Tower. And when you look down, you'll see tiny figures pounding corn, laying strips of venison on the empty carpool lane of some, of some abandoned superhighway. <laughs> It's so funny to me now because I used to think that was so like, yep, that's exactly what I want. <laughs> and now I'm like a grown up and I'm really comfortable and I just like, nah, I'm good with like some modern amenities. Man, I used to think that was a good quote. It's still kind of a beautiful, there's still something beautiful about it. Like, I don't know, in a very straightforward way where it's like, there's just something beautiful about urban landscapes zombie apocalypses in ur urban landscapes. It just makes for a very good movie or whatever. 
So anyway, never seen the word kudzu anywhere except in that quote, and then it's in this beverage. So there you go. Little, um, you know, sometimes you just have something that you, a trope or imagery or a word that you just encounter every 15 years, and each time you encounter it, you remember all the other times that you encountered it, even though it was 15 years ago and 30 years ago and 35 years ago, and it becomes like this little skipping, a little stone skipping on the surface of your, like, of your lifespan, like the water surface is your lifespan in this mixed in this mixed bag metaphor that I'm building here. And it's like skipping on the surface or, or it's more like a needle threading. It's much more like, it's actually much more like your lifespan is, is a strip of paper. And when you have one of these experiences, it's like a needle folding the paper over many times on itself and then punching through. That's what it feels like. It feels like a needle punching through and connecting the 37-year-old self with the 22-year-old self with the 17-year-old self with the 5-year-old self like you you are all those four reflections of yourself at the same time okay anyway that got super super insufferable there for a second and i would like to apologize for that metaphor but anyway let's come back to this lemon lime olipop here let's taste it a little bit more let's see if let's see if we can taste the kudzu vine in here yeah that's delicious that's an 8 out of 10 the fiber thing fucks it up and makes it not a perfect 10 because like all the drinks that put a little bit of fiber in there, it's just, I, uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not good. It's not good. Okay. So um, <clears throat> it's a shame that I'm so tired and have no time because I, I had a lot of interesting experiences this week. I, I had this one. So I've talked about this a little bit, but like a few months ago, I I was sitting with myself and I was realizing how I'm not going to enough AA meetings and the AA meetings are around here are, the people are very old and old is not bad. Old can teach me a lot. Like listening to old alcoholics is some of the best stuff you can do as an alcoholic because they have the answers. Because like, even if they aren't the smartest people in the whole universe, just based on having decades of sobriety and being old, they just build up so much wisdom. And they do all the reading and they go to the meetings and they sit and they listen and they ponder and they just end up having so many beautiful answers to so many things. And, you know, <clears throat> my my buddy Sam was asking me yesterday about some AA thing and she was like, why is it that alcoholics are like this? Like her question was about black and white thinking of how, um, alcoholics have this tendency to like think of themselves as incredibly infinitely important and then as soon as they realize that that's not true they think of themselves as completely fucking useless pieces of shit that have absolutely no value and it's like super black and white thinking and it's jumping between these two extremes and then the the thing that we do that you talk about in the meetings is like right sizing. Right sizing is to realize that you are right in between. Like you are a person like everyone else and you are valuable and you're not more valuable than anyone else and you're just like in between. You know, you have a you have a moderate amount of beautiful value to you where it's not like you all of history doesn't pivot on you and at the same time you are not worthless. And to many alcoholics, when you come into the rooms and you hear that, that's actually like a new, that sounds so obvious, but to a truly like alcoholic mind, that's a completely new idea. Like to me, that was a completely new idea. And it was so weird to realize that I'd been thinking like that my entire life because it's not a good way to think. And so then my buddy Sam and me were talking about this because she, she was dealing with some of her own issues with stuff and she was relating to that and, and stuff. And, and she asked me, so why is it that alcoholics think like that? And then I, I just thought about it and I realized that that's not the question. Like, we don't know. I don't know. No one in the rooms has ever, no one in the rooms or none of the writing ever has like a theory of the why like that. All we do is like, we make I statements we talk about our own experience of the bad stuff and the good stuff and and what led to what for us and then when you're when you listen to someone else tell their story you you relate to stuff and you realize stuff about yourself and all we can do is sort of like talk about our like 
realize that there are certain things that have worked for other people, you know? Humility. We don't know, like, why we're like this. I have no idea why I'm like this. I have no idea why the alcoholic mind that makes you drink a bunch of alcohol, all I know is that it seems like it's there's a lot of suffering that leads to alcoholism, and it has very little to do with alcohol, seemingly. But it, we don't really know about the why of any of it. But anyway, so that's a big sidebar. The point was just like, I haven't been going to meetings, and <clears throat> the meetings around here are a lot of old people, and the old people thing is good for learning and listening, and it's good for me to sit in those rooms and listen. But a very important part of a sobriety program is service to others. And service to others is very hard when everyone around you is older and has way more sobriety and stuff. Like in, in Seattle and in other places that I've been, it's a bigger mix and you can you can put yourself on a list to be someone's sponsor or you can just put your name on, on a list of, of phone numbers for people who are new in the program and they can call you and you can help them and that can feel very, very good. And all that is is that we've just realized as alcoholics that the only thing that can replace the alcohol the alcohol in our lives, the only thing that can make us feel a way that will be okay to where we don't have to drink is being of service to others. Like that's the only thing that feels good in the long term. Everything else fades. Everything else is kind of like, how do I say this? Every other form of feeling good is fleeting or it's shallow or it's like you give too much power to someone else to decide too much about your self-image where like you can be successful with something, but as soon as that stops being successful, you start feeling bad and now you're now you might relapse again. So the only feeling the only good feeling that's profound enough that you can and it's really it's really selfish it's really you have to do it for selfish reasons you have to feel like this for selfish reasons so that you can remain sober and basically what that means in completely practical terms is that we have to be of service to others and we have to be good to others in like a way where we really sort of like put some effort in because that makes us feel good in a calm, broad, deep way that we can sit with. And then when we sit inside of that feeling, we don't have to drink anymore. And that's like the only thing that works in the longer term. That's the only feeling that sort of lingers long long enough for us to like really stay sober. And so what I realized a few months ago sitting with myself is like, I'm really not of service to others. Like there are certain things, there are certain thought, like not thought experience, but there's certain like psychological things I do about my job where I try to like tell myself that, you know, I put a lot of effort into making the workplace a good place for like, the team of people that I manage so that they can be like comfortable and safe and feel respected. And it's like a level of professionalism and formalism, formalizing things that actually, that they think that they hate to have to be so professional and have everything be so formalized. But the truth is that the alternative of being of letting things be too loose and casual and weird lets, um, it just creates opportunities for people to be really disrespectful to each other and for people to feel really uncomfortable. It really leads to a lot of people being uncomfortable. So like I tried to sit with that and I try to recognize how much effort I put into that. And I try to I tried to tell myself that I am of service to others by putting so much effort into that. But it's a very precarious little weird psychological dynamic I'm trying to put up, uh, establish in my own brain there. Because all it really takes is like for one person to be like, I fucking hate it here and you're doing a shit job. And like as soon as one person says that, my whole self-image crumbles and I, you know... I'm suddenly very close to a relapse because my whole thing that I built up, that's like my deep, profound, you know, Freud's oceanic feeling, the thing that Freud called the oceanic feeling, the, the feeling, the deep and broad feeling that I'm trying to build up, that's like a good feeling for me to rest in, to sit within, to 
to be able to stay within and remain sober, that all of that crumbles very easily when I give the power away to other people, when I pretend like they need to be happy and for me to feel good about myself, it's not good. So what I really need is I need to go back to the literature and I need to go back to the more conventional understandings of what service to others is. So what I did a few months ago is I, I sent out some emails to, well, first I asked Maddie, and then I just sent out some emails to um, different places and asked if I could volunteer. And it's so crazy because as I was doing it, I was really um, preparing myself for like, I'm going to get, they're going to hit me up. Because what I was seeing on their websites was like, yeah, if you want to like take canned goods out of big boxes and put it into small boxes, we need someone, we need a volunteer to do that. And it's like, you do that eight hours a day. And so I'm like, okay, that sounds incredibly boring, but okay, if that's being of, of service to others, I'll fucking do it. Even though it like on the surface, it feels, it seems so incredibly mundane and incredibly boring. I guess I'll do it because it's volunteer work and I guess that's what volunteer work is available around here, okay? Fine, whatever, I'll do it. And we'll see how I feel about it and we'll see if it works in my fucking sobriety program here. And then what really happens is I get these emails and I get called in and, and I sit down with all these different people at the youth center because I emailed like the library and all these different youth centers and programs and stuff and I get called in and we sit down and they just like, I don't know. I don't know how this happened, but somehow I ended up in a place where like there are no other people like me, which is really like frequently that's an that's a very nice, I don't know. I don't know really how to describe this, but it's something like at the youth center, everyone is like retirees with a lot of money or something. And they're all kind of nice and chill and they bake goods for these like youngsters. They're all these like all girls programs for just like at risk youth and all this different stuff. And there's like no one like me. So first in the first meetings, they were like so happy that I'm there because they were like, do you know how to set up a video game? And I'm like, and I'm all embarrassed. Like, I don't want to seem like a 37-year-old who plays video games. So I'm all like, yeah, I mean, I maybe could do that. But the truth is that I could probably, <laughs> I can set up a video game, dude. Oh, God. Don't want to tell them immediately that I'm, yeah. I could set up a video game. It's the short answer. So I'm like, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Everyone here is a retiree who doesn't know how to how to plug a PS5 into a into a TV. Got it. I'll do that. Again, seeming kind of meaningless and stuff, seeming like, are you going to call me in to plug in a PS5? Am I going to feel like I'm in service of others when I do that? It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to take a little bit of meditating to, to convert that experience into like a meaningful, sublime feeling of service to others. But anyway, you know, long, fast track this, I end up being asked if I want to do like a cooking class and then we do some prep meetings and stuff. And then I do the first one this week and it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to describe this, but basically when I started the process, what I wanted was for it to be like in a movie where you get called in and there's someone, you like, you say you want to volunteer and then you end up in this situation where you like clearly, profoundly changed someone's life and you watch it, like you see it with your own eyes as someone growing in front of you, all right? That's what you want. You want it to be like in a sappy movie, right? And then quickly I have to like understand that that's not what life is like. And then I had this experience this week where it's exactly like that. I go into this room and we're cooking this thing and it's, cooking. I mean, it's barely even cooking. It's like everyone gets a cutting board. There's like 17 girls in this room. They all get a cutting board. They all get a chef's knife. They all get a paring knife. They all get all these different ingredients for a Greek salad. So we cut a cucumber lengthwise. We scrape out the seeds. I show them like three different cooking uh, cutting techniques. We just do knife class for 15 minutes where it's like high cut is good for a Cucumber, you cut straight down, chopping motion. 
and then low cut is more of a slicing circular motion and one knife you hold the knife like this you know the hand shape grip index finger fucking thumb hold the blade you know other hand is to claw you rest the knife against your knuckle we do it really really slowly and we talk about it and they're all like totally focused on me completely focused and we do the knuckle and i'm showing them and the knife goes up and down and everyone is like captivated and then it's like this is called a bell pepper and it's like we chop up the bell pepper we do the paring knife we get the white stuff off we chop the bell pepper into these like you know quarter inch pieces that go good in a greek salad we hit it with some olives we hit it with some cherry tomatoes you know some other ingredients and then we bring out feta cheese. Everyone is super weirded out by every single ingredient. It's like they've never had anything outside of Jack in the Box. And it the whole thing is so like, so interesting. Because you can tell that like the stuff I'm doing, it's, I mean, I guess it's really just, I, I, in a way it kind of brought me back to being a teacher because like when you're a teacher I was a teacher for like first and third and fifth and seventh grade and stuff and it's like it's a weird thing because it's like you do this stuff that feels so boring and repetitive and it seems so obvious but the truth is that it's like not though to a kid so it's like I got 17 seventh grade girls in this room and they're kind of like not these privileged ones that have been in all these like after school programs where they get to experience all this fun stuff because their parents spend a lot of money on them. Instead, they're the ones who are at this like youth center uh, that's like um, supported by donations. And they are happy, like this is their actual first experience of doing and And they all like, they're captivated by the whole thing. And they're all like, the whole thing, you can, there's this tension where they're like, you look at them and it's like, I can't tell if she's about to cry, but then I like look at her and I'm like, you're doing really, really good. Like you're doing so good. And like, you really figured out this knife technique. And I'm like, so impressed by you. And then you can just see how like this swelling of emotion where she's about to cry, it like fades into this broad thing where she like, stands up a little bit more straight and she just like grows a little bit as a human being and they come up to me afterwards and they're like this one girl was like i've never cooked anything before like i didn't know i could do that and it's like god damn girl and in my head i just want to be like i'm this asshole like i just want to be like you didn't cook shit dude that's a greek salad bro you just chopped up a bell pepper we just made a vinaigrette and tossed, like, that's not cooking. There was no heating element. You didn't heat anything. That's not cooking. <laughs> you didn't do nothing. But that's the wrong, <laughs> that's the wrong. Okay, that's not what we're saying. So instead, I'm like, <laughs> instead, I'm just like, wow. Like, I can just see how they, like, feel like, there's this thing that they didn't know that they could do. And like the truth is that we've all had experiences like that. And and it's like, it's weird. Like the brain is just weird how it's hard to have the idea of realizing how you can do anything. It's like the, the biggest prison we're in is like our own mind. And I remember doing these like HelloFresh. I remember subscribing to HelloFresh and um, following the recipe really close. And then at some point, just having this epiphany where it's like, these things that I've been cooking with HelloFresh every week for the last few months, I could just buy these ingredients and make this food myself. And it's interesting because like, I almost bought a bunch of HelloFresh stock because they did an IPO and uh, it seemed like a really good idea. But then I had this idea that, nah, I don't actually need this. And then it turned out that everyone probably had that exact same epiphany of like, we just want to do this for a little bit to get a couple of ideas. And then we want to break out of the prison of our own mind and just cook this food on our, on our own. And just, you know, there are all these things I learned from HelloFresh that are just like wonderful, fresh, different things that I didn't know that you could do. Like, 
um, one thing that I always make is like you make a rice and you can eat, you can make it a Spanish rice or you can make it a plain rice and then you get a piece of fish like whatever piece of fish that looks nice and you sort of like bake the fish maybe maybe a salmon fillet maybe some tilapia or tilapia or however you say that I don't know we don't have that shit in Sweden um, you bake some fish with like some dill or some lemon or something and you do it with rice and then you take chickpeas you take garbanzo beans you take an entire can of just regular old chickpeas in water you drain out the water you take a baking sheet and you just um throw them on there just spread them out and you hit them with like salt and pepper and olive oil and then you just bake on high temp chickpeas until they and it, they're delicious at every stage first it dry up a little bit and they're a good starchy component to your dish but then you can toast them even harder and they get crunchy and anywhere you're at there between like just heated up and dehydrated a little bit to like golden brown to like really toasted and crunchy they're delicious delicious at every point and then with that you take yogurt and you can do really any yogurt but like um well not like a sweetened yogurt it needs to be a plain yogurt like a greek yogurt is the best greek yogurt and you hit it with like some red wine vinegar or sherry vinegar or like some deep beautiful um acid from vinegar and you mix that with the yogurt and that's like a wonderful base and then you can add stuff to that like lemon juice and pepper and whatever herbs you have hit it with some worcester to just like get some umami in there and it's like this beautiful tart yogurt sauce with the the salmon or whatever your fish is and the crunchy chickpeas and the rice it's just like every part of that you can kind of you can kind of like mix around with the dials and every part of that can be a little bit different every time like the spanish rice you can toast it up real good and hit it with some saffron and do the rice however you want but it's just like it's just like this thing that's so easy but i didn't know that that was possible until hello fresh showed me and that's my best way of understanding the experience of the fucking at risk seventh graders at the youth center <laughs> that's my best way of understanding the experience they had with me and i was driving home from it and i was thinking like you know i should call hello fresh and see if they want to sponsor this thing because it should really be like a hello fresh thing every week and they hit us with a bunch of swag or something but but nah that's not what it is it's like the retirees are going to buy the food i'm going to come in and just bring a bunch of energy and just like be like yeah i work in a restaurant and i'm just going to be up there and they're just like they're quiet and then they talk a little bit and then you make them sort of like feel comfortable and then you look at them and and they look at you and you're just like wow and you just like really acted out of like, this is really cool. Like you're really, this claw technique of resting the knife against the knuckle and going up and down and like being really safe with it. Like you're doing such a good job with that. And it's like, oh. And then they like get really, oh, it's just like, wow. I don't know. So yeah, in this episode of the podcast, Joachim has a human experience for the first time, I guess. Is that what this is? Joachim experiences human emotions. It was just beautiful. It was wonderful. And they all came up to me afterwards and they like were telling me stories. And it was like, wow. And it's so, here's the thing. Here's the thing about it that's different from like when I have people, because at work, when I try to create a good workplace for people, Ultimately, even though they are my subordinates in some sort of like hierarchy where me, me being their manager is really just like I have to work way more hours and we're all just suffering in this fucking capitalist hellscape or whatever. Ultimately, I view them as my peers and ultimately I respect their opinions. And ultimately, if they tell me that I'm doing a shit job, my whole self-image will crumble. And that's why that's not a good like foundation for my sobriety program. Their opinion of me it's not a good foundation. This is like, there's a distinct, it's a very discreet, separate situation to take someone who's like, oh, this is so obvious. What I'm saying is so obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me. I have to fucking have these experiences before I can realize this stuff. But so like, 
this is so different because it's like, even if these at-risk seventh graders tell me I'm doing a terrible job or whatever, I just have to know, I don't know, am I describing this right? They, they're they not telling me that I'm doing a terrible job, so I don't know that. But it just feels like, even if they have a temper tantrum or something, somewhere within all of it, I will know that it is, that what we're trying to do here is like worthwhile. So it's like, like it is not contingent on someone's opinion in like a, in this sort of like short-term way. It's more like it is something that you can believe in, in this bigger sense of like, you know, you you spiral, you start spinning out and you you just slip on a fucking metaphorical banana peel and you just start circling the drain in a fucking death loop and you start hating yourself. And the thing, the only antidote we have in the AA program for the death spiral of how much of absolute deep self-loathing is service to others. And it's like, in the past, the only thing we knew of how to numb the feeling of hating ourselves was alcohol. And then the only thing that can, in a long-term way, really ameliorate the situation and give you something to hold on to in those dark moments of hating yourself is for you to say to yourself, well, at least I feel like shit and nothing is going good for me and I hate myself and I'm useless, but at least I'm doing this thing for this other person that's like that I I truly believe that I'm being of service to another person here. Like, it's like the only thing there is to hold on to in the deep black space, just tumbling, just being a fucking detached, you know, cosmonaut that just fucking fell off your space station and you're just tumbling through deep black space of self-loathing. The only thing... You can fucking stick your little little spaceman hand on and hold on to that will make you stop spinning is to be like, well, at least I am being of service to others in this sense here, you know, in this way. And that, like, I just rationally know that to be true. So, you know, a good AA program, it's like you you do this shit every day and you like get out of bed and you hate yourself, but you get out of bed because you know that you have to be there for these other people. Like, that's a really strong program. I don't have a very strong program. My program is just, I'm about to do that shit again next Wednesday, you know? You know, it's a thing. It's a thing I'm about to start doing all the time or something. But yeah, I don't know. The whole thing was just so much like a movie in in how it was like the, the story arc of emotion. And just like, there was this one moment, we're cutting our bell peppers and everyone's real focused. And this one girl, it's a little bit quiet for a second. And this one girl goes... I'm really afraid of sex ed. And this other girl goes, uh, me too. And then this other girl, the first girl, and you know, she's in seventh grade and stuff, but she looks like the type of person that might end up with some facial tattoos one day, you know? Like that's the track she's on and we're trying to, I guess we're trying to, we're trying to talk her out of, we're, we're really, we're in the past really. And we're trying to, someone traveled back in time and it is trying to save her from her future self. And we're back here 10 years before she gets to facial tattoos, trying to talk her out of it is what this experience really is. And so, and she's like, <clears throat> facial tat girl without the facial tats. She's like, I'm, I'm actually the most innocent person in this room and I'm really scared of sex ed. And it's like, I'm up there like, what do I say now? Like, I don't know what to say i probably shouldn't i probably shouldn't weigh in you feel me so i didn't okay and that was good and then there was i had five little handlers that were like doing crowd control and just like helping with making sure everyone has a bell pepper and stuff and um and one of the handlers is like it's just education you don't have to be afraid it's just knowledge you're just gonna learn about stuff and it's just good to know stuff there's nothing to be afraid of. And it's like, God damn it, dude. That's beautiful. Like, you hit me right in the heart. You hit me right in the heart with that one. God. And then it was this one girl's birthday at the at the end of it, and they, they brought in some baked goods, and we sang to her, and it it had this, like, real sort of, like, vibe, like, God damn it, at least we have each other. I don't know. 
Yeah. You know, we might not have a lot other. And it's like, okay, <clears throat> here's the thing, man. Like I look really put together up there and I look really like, oh, he's good at public speaking or like, oh, he looks, he, he's got it all figured out. You know, like he wakes up in the morning and he holds down a job and he doesn't get fired and he pays his taxes and you know, he saves a little bit of money off of his paycheck every week and he's got a 401k and all this stuff. And it's like, these girls are like, these are the at-risk ones that we're trying to like, maybe there's someone has at some point located that there might be a problem and we might have to fucking put them in this thing here where they have someone to ask questions and stuff. And here's the thing, it's like, <laughs> spiritually, like on my actual insight, like my actual self-image, I, I feel at risk, you know? Like I feel really, really at risk and I, f I have nothing. Like I have... Like, there was a real feeling when we sang Happy Birthday. There was a real feeling like they're not they're not going to sing Happy Birthday to you at your house, you know? But here's here's the thing about me. They, they don't sing Happy Birthday to me at my house either because I had some mental health issue where I had to, like, run away from country to country to get as far away as possible from anyone who fucking knows my name and... Now I'm just completely alone. And it's like, yeah. And now no one sings happy birthday to me. And I'm like, and I'm alone. So there's like this reciprocity. There's like this weird like vertigo feeling of like really dizzying sense of reciprocity when we're singing this happy birthday song. Because I'm really like, am I doing? Like it just, it while singing happy birthday, it really became like, if, if, there was something about it where I was allowed to think about what I was ha doing for a second. And it was like, am I doing this for them or am I doing this for me? And we all, you know, we were all struggling, but we were all struggling a little bit less in that moment. And it was like, fuck, Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus, this feels like a lot. Yeah. You know, I had this thing I was thinking about this week where I was like, I, I have this like escapism like I talked about it a few episodes ago and it was the whole episodes and it was it was like called why we leave or something is why I called the episode what, what I called the episode but it's like it's funny how I I do these episodes where I, I will talk about like one tiny little fragment of all my mental health issues and I'll talk about it for 1 hour but just because I talked about it doesn't mean that it's resolved so it's like still true and so like this week I was sitting and I just sat with the feeling of it. And I just sat with the feeling of how what I want more than anything is to leave. I want to leave and I want to go far, far, far away from here. And I want to be completely alone. And I want to be where no one knows me. And I want to be, I want there to be other people because I don't feel safe when there are no, not other people around. But I want none of those people to know me. That's what I want. Like that's my deepest desire in my heart. And then as I'm sitting with that feeling, I just have this very, very, very obvious epiphany, which is I already did that. And that's what this is. I am far away and I am alone. I am already there, you know? And it's like, uh, what is that? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. It's probably alcoholism. It's probably called alcoholism. Yeah, this Olipop is a real eight out of ten. It's nice, but it's got that, it's got that viscous quality from the fiber, and uh, could do without that. But really beautiful essential oil lime flavor there. Yeah. Anyway, so I did this volunteering thing, and it's it's weird because I was actually super nervous about it beforehand. Like I couldn't sleep at all beforehand, and <clears throat> couldn't focus on anything beforehand. And then when I do it, it's like it's good and it just feels very natural and it's like just a very good experience and stuff. And then as I'm trying to sit with it afterwards and I was, I set a little bit of a meditation timer and I was trying to sit with the feeling of like, I do so much worrying about stuff before they happen. And then when they go well, I would just wish I could sit with like a commensurate amount, amount of positive feeling about how it went well. Like, if I spend 10 hours worrying about something, some big thing, I th something that feels big to me, if I spend 10 hours sitting and worrying about it, I just wish if the thing then goes well, shouldn't I be allowed to sit for 10 hours and just 
a sense of like some sort of gentle bliss or some sort of like celebratory some like shouldn't there be some moment of like shouldn't there be some positive thing afterwards in my mind but it's like that's very like my mind doesn't know how to do that i don't know how to celebrate and that's also alcoholism because it's also like so much a literature is about that thing of how it's really hard when you quit drinking it's really hard to figure out what does it mean to be happy about something and to like lean into the joy and to like be elated. And it's like a really other, it's a big other way to relapse is to be, to negotiate with yourself and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the past I was always drinking to forget about my problems, but I'm allowed to drink now because I feel good. And ultimately that's true that non-alcoholics drink when they already feel good, they drink to feel a little bit better and then they don't drink a ton and then that's not problematic for them. And then non-alcoholics, when they feel bad, they probably tell themselves, hey, um, I probably shouldn't drink now because I should probably like work on this problem that's making me feel bad instead of drinking. Like I imagine hypothetically that that's how a non-alcoholic would think about it. I have no idea because I've never thought that thought in my entire fucking life. But like, that's what that is, right? So it's like, there's this issue with celebrating. And so I was sitting and I was sitting all sad afterwards, just realizing how I was trying to sit with how it's like a good experience that I had or whatever with these like fucking seventh graders where it's like, it was so nice that they were all so like focused and that it all went so well and that... They all like were so, you know, that they like opened up a little bit and came out of their shells a little bit and that they all like seemed like they took it, they like slowly picked up a new skill with a knife, learning how to use a knife in a safe way and just like felt good about themselves as they like did it faster and faster and were like good, better and better at it over time. And it was like, it, it was like this positive thing that I wish I, I wish I could sit and just enjoy the positivity of that, but couldn't sat on my couch at my house, suffering immediately, just suffering. Only thing I know how to do suffering. But then what happened is that the, the like retired lady who like brought me in there and who like decided on the recipe and brought all the groceries and like organized it basically she sent me this email and it's such a beautiful email saying all these nice things and then one of the things she said is like she goes joachim you have a gift because she just thought i was really good at it and i should keep doing it and that i should keep throwing up for showing up for her thing and it's just like dude it's so fucking beautiful to say nice things to each other because it doesn't cost her any money to say that and it means so much to me for her to say that and so my brain only knows how to suffer. So my what I'm trying to do, and I've been doing this now for six months or something, I'm trying to gather positive things. When someone does something like that, like they send me a letter saying something nice like that, they send me an email saying something nice, or a text, or just something good happens, I try to screenshot it and literally just save it in a folder. So I have a Dropbox account. Um, I pay 10 bucks to Dropbox every month. I've been doing that for like 10 years. I got like three terabytes of fucking crazy person files organized within like just the biggest folder tree you could imagine. Just biggest the world, you know? Just tall as God himself, you know? And in my Dropbox, I just made this folder in the deepest root. Just Dropbox and then there's a folder and the folder says positive things. And it's like so new to me the idea that you would try to teach yourself how to remember that there are good things in the world so it's not all suffering. And so I like took a screenshot of that email and I put it in that folder. And in that folder, I have like a few things. And there's something, I'm really trying to, I'm really trying to work this out here. I'm really trying to work this out to be like, because I, I think that, there, I don't know, I, I'm really of two minds when it comes to this because I guess, I guess how I'm thinking about it is <clears throat> it has a lot to do with memory and stuff. And there's something about, I don't know, I think that there's something about worrying about the future a lot that makes you not think about your own past. 
I don't know. I forget everything that's ever happened to me for some reason. I forget it really easily. And I, I imagine that that's something about how anything good that happens, I just never think about it again. And then bad things can haunt me a little bit, but mostly I just worry about the future. And it's very future looking, future facing or whatever. And it's like, I think that there's something unhealthy in that. And it, I've been thinking about it recently and, and, and I've been thinking, I've been comparing myself to, I used to date this girl, Brie. And like, Brie, she was from Florida. She had grown up in this kind of like crazy part of Florida and her different sisters were in these different crazy situations where they had a bunch of kids or like, there was just issues and like <clears throat> they never had enough money and there was just a bunch of legal problems for everyone. And she just like wanted to get herself to some, I was so impressed with her because she did so many things so differently from what she was taught and what she was doing was so much better. And there was so, so much stuff where she just had this like, intuition I don't know where it came from she just had this like powerful intuition to do things very differently so she like left Florida drove across the country and you she ends up in California she's living in northern California she's like saving just a ton of money by like sometimes living in her car there's just like she had this like very hard-working way of living in her car where like she would like make plenty of money to where she could rent a place, but she would live in her car just so she could save a lot of money. And there was like this incredible sense of focus and diligence. And it was like her and her big old dog just living in this big van. And then she bought a trailer. And there were so many things about how she set up her whole life. Like she wouldn't eat fast food. She just ate really healthy food and she like made all of her old food. And she had this one habit that I found so interesting, which is that she would drive into the woods at night and sleep in the woods in the middle of nowhere where there's no reception. And then right before bed, she would do this weird thing where she would she, she would be on her phone, which is like a weird unhealthy thing, screen time right before bed. But she wouldn't go on Instagram or anything because she was in the middle of the woods where there was no reception. And so what she would do instead is she would just look at her photos. Like she would take a lot of photos with her, uh, with her phone all the time. So she had tons of photos. And she would just look at her own photos and just think back on her life. And it's like, I don't know, man. It's hard for me to talk about this here and stuff because, because it's almost like what I want to say is like, that there was something about her that was she wasn't she wasn't like book smart and i that sounds insulting maybe if you're a person who thinks book smarts is the most important thing but there was just something about her that she could seem really i don't know how to say it people could think of her as like she didn't seem that deep or whatever but there were so many things about how she set up her mind that was so beautiful because she like would look through all these photos every single night before bed not all of them every single night but like she would go years back and just look at a bunch of photos and it would like be these like positive experiences and it would just be this exercise of reminiscing and remembering good experiences she'd had she'd had and like deep relationships she'd enjoyed and just like it would be this like there's something about memory and remembering it where like each time you remember a memory you are corrupting the memory a little bit so you have to be deliberate about how you corrupt it and the proper way to cor the good way to corrupt the memory corrupt a memory is probably to make it more positive not po not too positive to where you're like learning all the wrong lessons because you think everything was perfect, but to just sit with, you know, you go all the way back in your phone and you're like, yeah, six years ago I was hanging out with that guy, huh? And like, he was a pretty good guy in this one sense, huh? He he did have this one thing going for him. It was kind of beautiful what he was doing in that one way, huh? And it's like, <clears throat> she just had this like beautiful backwards looking remembering her own life exercise every night and i think she really turned it into a thing of 
rewriting history into something where she could feel good about herself and where she was and gratitude. Like she just developed, it was just like she would look at all these photos with like gratitude every night. And I don't know, I've always like, I, I, I tried that for a while where I would like look back and there's something about my mind where my mind is just so like hateful and I just look at photos and I have to stop after a little bit because I just like cringe and I just like hate who I was even very recently. And I'm just like still looking for a way to look at my own life in a way where I can just be at peace with it and experience it with a sense of great gratitude. And I... <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know. And I was thinking about how I wish I could just like, this is so weird, but I wish I could listen to my own podcast. I wish I could just be like, I wish I could just listen to an episode from a year ago because I don't remember anything because I just worry about the future. And so I was scrolling through it. I was scrolling through the backlog a little bit and and it was coming back to me a little bit. And it, it there was a comfort in the numbering and there was a comfort in like realizing that like each episode is exactly one week apart from the next episode. So when I go seven episodes back, that's seven weeks. And then I can be like, yeah, seven weeks ago, huh? I was staying at Doug's house and I was house sitting for Doug. And like five weeks ago, I was hanging out with Maddie and we were doing this thing. And like 10 weeks ago, we went to that Ali Colbert show and Ali Colbert roasted the shit out of me for an hour. And I paid for that. And it was called entertainment, but it was really like a lesbian bullying me. And it's like, I wanted, I wanted to remember my own life and I didn't. But if I can have something, then at least I have this one folder in my Dropbox called Positive Things. And it's just these different emails that I've gotten from different people where they're like, wow, I read your novel and it like, I found this one part so touching or like, wow, I listened to your podcast and it's like this one thing, we've never met, but like this one thing here where you talk about, the way you talk about loneliness is like, I also feel so fucking lonely all the time. And and I listen to your podcast and it just makes me feel a little bit something. And it's like, <sighs> yeah, I don't know. There was something in Brie and her just being in the middle of the woods with no reception and just being offline with herself and her dog and her memories and her photos that just seemed so like, it just seemed so healthy to me for a person to just study your own life and to just think about, are there lessons to be learned that only we can know about ourselves? You know, look at what we already know and know it again and hold it up into the light and remember it. And if we don't, we forget our own lives, you know? And I just wish that there was a journal. I just wish that there was a voice in which I could speak to myself and just remember myself, you know? And <clears throat> yeah. And what I'm saying is that it's it's like, it's. I wish I could just listen back to my own podcast, but I know that I can't because it's going to just be, everyone, everyone we all just hate listening to our own voices. So that's, that's dead in the water, you know? That's, that's a non-start. Not non-starter. Is that an expression? Non-starter. I don't know. I should just do the photo thing. I should just do the photo thing. I should just look at my own photos a little bit every night. It's nice, you know? It's nice. You just kind of do that. You just kind of... You know, because I've been to a lot of places and I've met a lot of people and we all have. And it's fun to think back on that. And to be like, yeah, I was in that restaurant that one time. And the other end, you know, totally different corner of the earth. I was in a restaurant. I was sitting on a little plastic stool. And I had that food. And I was spending time with David Lancashire, you know. I was spending time with Renee Reynolds. I haven't seen Renee Reynolds for 20 years. But I felt close to her at one time. And, and she was older than me. And we were dating. And, and it was beautiful. And we both wanted to be artists and we were both kind of losers and it was a long time ago. And it's it's nice to just think back on it, to just think of her with a sense of gratitude that she took the time to spend time with me, you know? Let's just think about something from a long time ago and, and to just to just look at a weird photo of it and, and to, to just 
put a little bit of a blanket of gratitude, to just wrap the whole thing in a little bit of a blanket of gratitude and, and, and just, you know, be with her own be with her own past a little bit. Yeah. So that's my homework for you this week, I guess. I don't know, dude. I gotta go to bed. I don't know how to end this shit. I don't know how to end these episodes, but I think that's an episode. And and listen, man, I, I, I love you and I love you for being here with me. And, and I hope we, I hope we figure it out. I hope we figure it out. Thank you.